scriptures this morning that that uh, I would do so faithfully and that I would do so without without error or conceit or or guile or anything else, Lord. I pray that you would um, just be just be with me as I as I um, as I speak this morning. I pray that uh, your Spirit would flow through me, that that your Spirit would find it, find its way find its way into the hearts and minds of of everyone who's here. Um, you uh, you tell us, Lord, that your your word does not come back empty, and I uh, I pray that it would come back uh, just many fold. Uh, the seeds planted today that they would uh, they would grow into something uh, beautiful and awesome. In Christ's name, Amen. So uh, last Sunday, the uh, visiting down in Fort Benton, uh, the audio. Uh, workers were they have a really cool setup. I like had a good time talking to them about how their audio is set up and how it works. But they did not know. Oh, my wife is reminding me. I need to announce uh, one announcement I missed. Uh, offering uh, the offertory plate is in the foyer. We are going to start doing offering again at some point. We just need to organize it, uh, and so that is coming. But if you would like to worship God with your tithes and offerings, the plate is in the back on the table. Uh, and, and we will return to passing it uh, here soon, as soon as it gets set up. Um, and so that is coming. Uh, if you're online uh, and you want to worship God with your offering, uh, the box 505 is the address here in Big Sandy, uh, 59520. Uh, and so that is the way to do that. So coming back to it, um, I finished up. This is not even part of the sermon. It's just something I thought was funny. Uh, the uh, I finished up and like they have like a song and then a blessing and like their audio folks didn't know to turn my microphone off. (laughs) And so if you listen to the audio for the sermon, like for the service, you get to the end and you can hear me sort of talking to myself and you can hear me sing and not just sing, but like torturing a cat singing, like, like, it is it is really exceptional. If you uh, if you uh, check it out, I'll send out a link for the audio only version. I posted it, uh, and so if you wanna if you wanna check it out, it's it's way long. I'm shocked, uh, but also it uh, it features a solo. So not a solo, I guess, because everybody else is singing, but the only one on microphone is me. Um, so that so yeah, uh, I had a good time. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I went grocery shopping. Um, I'm not sure if it counted as a date or not. We said it was a date. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you get to a certain point, like grocery shopping together counts. Um, and so we, we went to the grocery store in Great Falls. Um, we're there. We're doing our stuff. And uh, we stopped. There are certain places I stop every time I go. And one of the places I stop is at uh, the comic book store. Right, like we've been going there for years. I've been collecting comic books because I'm an overgrown child. Uh, and um, we visited with the guy who owns a place, uh, Brooks Kelly. Like we're friends with him. We've been talking to him and spending time with him for years. Uh, uh, really, just a great time. And he pointed out he had was processing stuff. He bought bought a large lot of, of material, and he was processing it and putting it out. And he pointed out to my wife that, look, there's boxes over there full of bundled and secondhand and, you know, graphic novels and all that. And we started going through it, and we ended up with a pile that was ridiculous. But it was a heck of a fine because we're buying stuff at a, you know, percentage, small percentage of what we would have paid. 
My son, last night, when we got home, he read this one I picked up for him. It's the Infinity Gauntlet. It's the movies that just came out recently, uh, that uh, the Marvel movies. And I got this for, I don't know, less than half of what it cost originally. Uh, and he was very excited. And there are a bunch of these comic book things that, that we did spend a little more than we planned, but we got them because the kids would love them and because I would love them. And, you know, it was a great deal. Uh, and it was a great deal. And, and, and so that was our first stop. And we did a few other little run errand things. And then we went to Goodwill, right? And at Goodwill, I, I'm buying computer monitors ugh, for the church right now. And because uh, we need a handful of computer monitors, we had a, a tech thing happen this week. And so we went there to look for computer monitors and uh, picked up a couple of them, and as we were, you know, as we're looking around, my wife got into the books and started looking at books and collecting up things she thought were interesting, and I came across four books on a shelf, just like there, and it shocked me because there is this set of books I own. They're the uh, great books of the Western world. Uh, if you buy these new on Amazon, they're fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, I looked at buying a digital copy so I wouldn't have to buy a new set. And the digital copy through Logos was $600 or something like that. And over the years, I've bought them at secondhand stores. I bought them at a used bookstore that had like a box sale. Uh, and I have like a set and a half right now, and I'm missing maybe three volumes. But they had like four books from the great books there, just in the middle of the children's books. No reason. They look like encyclopedias, right? Just four of them all lined up. And I thought, that's weird. And I, I was looking at them, and the two of those books um, were the Synopticon, which is like the index for the set. And like it is, it's like an index that lets you read, oh, I'm going to look up angels. And it'll give you every time angels are mentioned by um, every author from the Greeks to the Romans to the medieval era to modern thinkers to, I mean, like, it's a 57-volume set. Thank you, Tess. And I'm, I was very excited to find four, including a copy of the Synopticon, because you can more or less get the other ones online, and you can sort of, like, fight with the references. They don't have the page numbers that way, but, like, you know, you can get the Odyssey online, right? Uh, or you can buy a paper copy of it. But as I started looking, I started finding more and more of them. And somebody had gone through, whoever processed them into Goodwill, had just stuck them all over. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This set is, like, here. And it's, you know, like, no, it's not even together. And so I'm collecting these up, and I'm filling a cart with them. And, and I'm looking at them. And, like, like, no joke, they're hard to find. I nearly bought an introductory set that was like five volumes, not the full great books, but it was like an associated set for $500 in a used bookstore a few years ago. They're not easy to find, like used, they're expensive. And the Synopticon, just buying those two books makes the whole rest of the set worthless. Uh, but I'm like, well, I'm just going to buy these two. because, And then I started discovering them, and I filled a tote with these things. And they were, and I started looking, I'm like, well, they're $3 a piece. It's a bit of money. And I was like, but $150 for another, you know, for a copy of the great books is phenomenal. And it's a nicer set than I already have and everything else. And I thought, you know, I should ask someone, because it's basically an encyclopedia. I wonder if they have an encyclopedia deal. And so I, 
sorry. I asked one. I said, hey, this set, it's an encyclopedia. You sell them off individually. They're worthless. Like, can I get a deal for the whole thing? They sold them to me for 20 bucks. Again, 1500 to 20 And not only that, like these are, like these are, can you turn me down? I'm like feeding back and it's annoying. These are books that, um, these are books that, uh, they're what our culture was built on, right? It's like a wealth of knowledge that's like at a whole other level. It's, it's, it's you know, I spent more money on a box of comic books. And I was actually like really excited about the comic books until I realized like I can own admittedly, another set of these. Um, so why am I talking about this? It's because these guys, so they had this set of books and they had no idea what it was, right? They're just donations. You throw four here, three here, one volume in the middle of this set, and we had to walk through, it was like, a, like an Easter egg hunt looking for these books so that, you know, because they're, because they're terribly valuable um, and just stuck on the shelf at Goodwill. Um, there are times where we encounter things and, like, the folks around us don't realize what they're worth. You all ever have that, like, you watch the Antiques Roadshow? And it's like, oh, well, you have George Washington's writing desk. This is worth, you know, $180 million. But you painted it, so $22. Um, but, like, they had no idea what the value of this thing was. As we look at Mark's version, so, like, the Gospel of Mark has the triumphal entry, and it's a slightly different version than the other Gospels. As we look at Mark's version, we, we discover a story about people who had no idea what was happening. Um, and I thought about different ways to approach this. I, you know, it, it, is, it is such a huge thing that... You know, everybody around them should have fallen over themselves to be a part of it. And can you bump me to my first slide? Um, and so what we're going to talk about is this idea that nobody expected this. Oh, my gosh, what is happening? Um, nobody expected the triumphal entry. No one. Nothing. Nobody has seen Monty Python. Thank you. Um, and so, like, the triumphal entry, nobody expected what was coming. Nobody saw it coming. Um, nobody understood exactly what was taking place. Uh, and so we're going to jump into our background here, and I'm going to work through this quick. I, 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 uh, I, I think there's some interesting stuff here, and it's worth digging into. First off, Mark is the shortest gospel, right? And it is written to Gentile converts primarily, right? So he's got a specific audience, and he emphasizes different things than the others. But he does jump over a lot of events in Jesus' life. Okay, a third of the book is devoted to the Passion Week. Um, and so that's a huge deal. Like everything, you know, for Mark, everything sort of builds up to this. Um, but like, like even certain sections of this Passion Week get a lot more attention than seems warranted. And we'll get into that in a second. Um, the second thing that's important to understand about Mark is that like throughout the book, Mark mentions Jesus downplaying his role as Messiah, or the fact that he's God, or anything else. Like, he's like, don't tell anyone, you know, keep it a secret, this, and like, it's often called the, the messianic secret, or like the Mark's secret, right? And the secret being that Jesus was God, and he had arrived, and he kept it back 
all the way up until the end. And in fact, actually, the story right before the, the triumphal entry in Mark's gospel is the healing of blind Bartimus. Bartus? Barty? I don't know. Anyway. Um, and so he heals this guy. And as he's walking, the, he walks past this blind fellow. The blind fellow hears that Jesus is there. And he starts calling him son of David. He yells out, right? Like the blind man stood on the road and he cried. The blind man stood on the road and he cried. And he's crying out, but he's crying out, son of David, son of David, son of David. That's not a small claim. Like, he's saying, look, you are in the lineage of the king. You are the promised one who came. Like, he refers to Jesus as the Messiah, basically, as the king who is coming to, like, sit on the throne in Israel. Like, he calls Jesus, like, a very overt name, and a very unusual thing happens. He doesn't get corrected. Jesus doesn't tell him, don't say these things. He doesn't downplay it. He doesn't anything. He just accepts it. And so now we begin to see where Jesus is throwing it out there. Like, I am who you expected. This is me. It is time. And that's going to play into the, uh, the text we're about to look at, and that's why I mention it. We'll get to it in a second again. Um, finally, each gospel writer emphasizes something different in order to make their point. The triumphal entry is very different from the other accounts. Got it? It is. And I'll explain as we go why. And I'll explain how, but they all, like, you can read it and gel them together really well. Like, that does work. Like, they all fit. But, like, Mark emphasizes to make a point. And so, diving in, uh, first off, Mike's, Mike, not Mike. I called you Mike on, I did. During the wedding ceremony, I called you Mike, Mark. So, Mark spends a ton of time talking about the donkey, right? Like, I've always brushed over this text until I I was reading and somebody pointed out, like, he devotes, like, five verses to this dumb donkey. This is probably important, right? Like, he jumps over all kinds of other stuff, but he stops to talk about the donkey. Weird. So let's have a look at what's going on there because it's significant. It's huge. So... As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt there or a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. So. Um, really quick aside, I've often found that like, oh, just say the Lord needs it and they'll let you. Um, I, I was reading that it's actually, there's a pretty good chance Jesus knew these people and had like years ahead of time said, hey, this is the thing that's going to happen. It is also possible he just knew there'd be a cult there and these are complete strangers and they, you know, because of the Spirit's intervention said, yeah, go ahead and take the donkey. It's yours, Right. But there's at least the possibility, because Jesus would stay in these villages when he would visit Jerusalem. So, like, there's at least the possibility that this was prearranged. And it was a code word. Like, two years beforehand, he says, in a couple years, somebody's going to come to you, and they're going to say this. When they do, give them whatever they want. Um, I thought it was neat. I'm sorry. Um, so important details here, bump ahead here. Uh, so the request for a beast to ride points to the idea that Jesus walked everywhere. Got it? Jesus did not ride an animal from place to place. Now, if you were wealthy, you didn't walk. Got it? Because walking as much fun and wonderful as it is, is walking. 
and you could ride something or be carried by someone or whatever, like you would do that. Like you wouldn't walk everywhere. For a, like walking was what poor people did. Got it? And like, so he is the son of God. He is the king of kings. Through him, all things were created. And he is, he's living the life of a, of a very poor man. Um, and so the fact that he's asking for a donkey fits there. It's important. The other thing is, he says, the Lord. I never thought about this. But the word he uses is kairos, right? Kairos um, is the word. Like, And actually, it's the article and then kairos. I don't know what the preceding word is. I'm sorry. Um, but it's almost always used to refer to God. And so he tells them, guys, go to the village, get the donkey. If they ask what's going on, say, God needs it. Well, who's taking the donkey? Jesus is. So what's Jesus saying? He's basically really overtly saying that he's God. Like, it's not a small thing. Like, he's making a huge statement, totally out of character for the Gospel of Mark. Um, because now all of a sudden the secret is out. Now, the cult itself, this is kind of awesome, um, and this is why he spends so much time. In the Old Testament, we see, you want to bump it forward? We see where, the, where donkeys, where baby donkeys or, or colts are associated with the Messiah. Um, in Zechariah, we have, uh, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, which sounds really overt, right? Like, that's, that's what's happening here. Next one um, is actually from Genesis. Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vestiture in the blood of grapes, which, you know, we're doing communion this morning, right? Like, think about this. Like, what, is the, what are the garments of those who follow Christ washed with? With his blood, we're made pure and clean and acceptable by the blood of Christ. And so, like, this prediction is associating the donkey with the washing of blood and all this. Like, it's a big thing, right? And Jews were expecting, like, they sort of knew this. They sort of had this idea, right? The other thing that, um, the other reason this is significant. So, the donkey thing also, when Solomon is coronated king. So, Solomon becomes king of Israel, and his father, David, says, all right, listen, when you go in for your coronation, go get my donkey and ride it in. And so he did. And if I'm not mistaken, it became kind of a tradition that kings, when they went to be coronated, rode the donkey. Ooh, again. So Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He's coming to the capital. Big things are at work. In fact, actually, even Thomas, like Thomas, uh, you know, a week or so, or uh, several weeks beforehand, when he found out they were traveling to Jerusalem, he's like, yeah, all right, we'll go die with him then. Because they know, like, it's dangerous. They know stuff is happening. They know that it's coming to a fever pitch. Um, it is the moment. It's happening. It's happening, right? Um, also, a beast of burden that is unbroken. If you read in the Old Testament, if you were going to sacrifice a beast of burden, like an ox, it had to be unbroken. Never ridden, never bridled, never anything. You would sacrifice an untouched animal. And as Christ, the final sacrifice, approaches the temple, he's riding on an untouched donkey. Right? Like, I don't think he actually sacrificed donkeys, though. So to be fair, there is a little bit more of a, a side-eye reference. But the, that, the, uh, 
the fact that it was unbroken, untouched, is associated with that purity that would uh, precede sacrifice. And finally, and this one's really cool, the Mishnah, which is like the first part of the Talmud. It's the part that happens way, way early on. Um, it talks about this idea that the king's donkey, no one should sit on it except the king. No one, period, right? Now, part of the deal that's happening here, and I can't remember if I included it in a later slide. I might have. Let's see if I did. Um, otherwise, it'll be in the deep dive. Uh, so you want to bump me ahead here? They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them and said, or spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. Um, and so, like, they get the donkey, right? That's six verses devoted to the donkey. Six out of, like, 12 or 11, right? More than half the text is about this donkey, why? Because Mark wanted the readers to catch the idea that there's something big happening. This is not a minor occasion. Um, another thing that does play in, and I was talking with Roberta, uh, Roberta, Rebecca about this this morning, when kings would ride in as conquering heroes, they would ride war horses. And this is him on a donkey, which is like that humble and lowly in heart thing is another kind of aspect of this. Anyway, so laying down coats and palm branches, which is what the kids did, right? They waved their palm branches. The laying down in coats and palm branches had like this Old Testament significance associated with a king being inaugurated, with a king like being set on the throne for the first time. Specifically, now I'll read you the text here. Uh, they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Um, Jump back to Second Kings. Um, and he said, thus, and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpets and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so like this laying down of coats, king is arriving. So, to kind of set the stage here, these guys are watching, they're seeing, he's on a colt, he's riding into Jerusalem, everything's reached a fever pitch, it is about to go nuts, and all, you know, heck fire is about to break loose, and they're like, this is it, he's going to be king, and he's going to lead a rebellion and finally kill all the bad guys, and it'll be awesome, right? And so they start laying down coats, and they start saying this stuff, and they're excited. And... Um, Another quick note, I do want to touch on this before I go any further. He is coming down the Mount of Olives. He is going to go in through the east gate of the city. Just next to the east gate is the east gate to the temple itself. Okay? The, east, the eastern gate is significant in Ezekiel's prophecies. Ezekiel over and over and over again talks about the east gate. He talks about God and the angels gathering over the east gate and like singing to the heavens and glory and all this. But what comes out of all of this Ezekiel stuff, like specifically 43.2, um, and behold, 
the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Now, the Jews, the ancient Jews, had read this, and they interpreted it as, when the Messiah shows up, he's going to come in through the east gate. They're still expecting it. If you go to Jerusalem and stand on the Mount of Olives, it is covered with Jewish cemeteries, because they believe when the Messiah comes, the dead will rise, and he'll come down that hill, and the guys who are there will be the first ones to rise. So they got their spot in line first, right? First to rise from the dead right here. And they've been building cemeteries. People have been buried there for millennia now in preparation for the Messiah coming. And so they're waiting for the East Gate. And so the Jews are watching. Like his disciples are watching. Some of the people from the city are watching. And he is coming to the East Gate. He is coming to the temple um, he is the long-expected Messiah, and he is going to enter the gate just like that. And they're thinking, the king is here. He's going to lead our rebellion. We're going to be free. This is going to be awesome. You feel the buildup, the excitement. You bumped me ahead one. Um, so finally, when they greet him, the, the words that they're saying over and over again is actually Psalm 118. Okay? And this is also significant, but it's significant for a reason nobody ever catches. I didn't know it until this week, which is crazy. I'd never read the original. I had never read the context or what it was used for. But watch this. So Psalm 18, 25 to 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, Watch this. Um, and it's important. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and we bless you from the house of the Lord. Got it? Um, blessed is he who is, comes in the name of the Lord. And we've always assumed that that's Jesus, right? Who comes in the name of the Lord? Jesus does. But the psalm is actually not a messianic psalm at all. It is about something else. And I read the original text here, 9 and 10. And those who went before him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. He, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Um, Hosanna is transliterated from Hebrew. It literally means save I pray, which is the first line of that bit of Psalm 118, right? So they are repeating Psalm 118 at Jesus as he approaches. But blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord didn't refer to the Messiah. Like nobody ever read it that way. They read it as associated with people who made a pilgrimage to the temple. And so the guys who would show up at the temple after traveling, you know, months and months and months and arriving at the temple, they would say, blessed is he who arrives in the name of the Lord. Why? Because you're entering the temple. You're arriving in the name of the Lord. I'm here to encounter God. And having entered the temple, um, you are blessed because you came to see God. And so part of what they're looking at is, they're looking at it and saying, Jesus is coming to the temple, and that's when it's all going to happen. They're not welcoming him as the Messiah. They're welcoming him, well, probably are, but they're welcoming him as a pilgrim to the temple. And arriving at the temple, showing up there, they're expecting something big to happen. They're probably looking back at one of the texts like, um, well, it's in here. Um, Mark's account doesn't emphasize what happened. Now watch this. So, well, let's hit pause before we get into that. Um, no, we'll get, I, I probably planned it this way. So, so Mark's account doesn't emphasize what happened. It emphasizes what didn't happen. Now follow me here. 
because all the other accounts have a different like ending here. So what didn't happen? Well, they're there, they're celebrating, they're excited. Malachi said, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. That's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So John prepared the way. Jesus is coming to the temple suddenly and they're like, this is it. The Lord who we seek is suddenly coming to the temple. It is time. It is go time. And then Mark 11, 11, Jesus entered the temple and came into the temple or entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. Watch this. Great big procession, people cheering, people laying down coats, people conquering hero it's the end of the world like like god is coming he's going to kill the enemy he's going to free us from bondage he's going to do all of this stuff look it's happening it's happening it's happening he walks into the temple and they're waiting for something huge and just kind of like oh looks around a little bit and leaves what 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 you know what i mean like is that it is that it what we were expecting something more but here's the thing Ideally, the folks in the temple, they knew this stuff. They knew the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to the temple. They knew he'll be riding on a foal. The Pharisees were out there. We know that because elsewhere, like they rebuked the people who were like saying Psalm 118 stuff, right? And the King David stuff. They, they rebuked all that. So they know who he is. They know all this stuff about him. And he walks in the door and they're like, yeah, you're here. So what? The most valuable thing that would ever happen in the temple, and they missed it. They saw it as valueless. They saw it as nothing. Just another set of books on a shelf. Right? Just another thing we can put on the discount rack to get it out of here as quick as we can. This Jesus guy, yeah, he's here. He ain't nobody special. In fact, he's probably just a problem. The chief priest had a few days beforehand said, like begun the planning of of murdering him. And he said, um, it's better for one man to die than the whole nation because they're like, we don't want a rebellion to happen. Um, Last slide for me. Um, So Mark, having come to this, this is Peter's events, um, it ends actually with the cursing of the fig tree. So like the very next thing that happens, which is like the next day, Mark like has shoehorned in this fig tree story where he comes to the fig tree and it's got no fruit and he sees that it has no fruit and he's like, I curse you and the thing dies. Because, because the temple, because the Jewish people, because the dead spiritual life that he was trying to like save, it didn't even see him. It didn't bear any fruit. He walked into the temple and they didn't care. And so he cursed them. Mark's message ultimately is, The triumphal entry was the triumphal entry. It was God entering his temple. The glory of the Lord filling the temple. And they didn't know it. I was reading that uh, Dolly Parton once entered a Dolly Parton look-alike contest and came in third place. Right? I, I suspect they didn't even know it was her. Right? I, uh, when I was a youth pastor, we were at uh, Cornerstone. It was a big Christian music festival in Illinois. 
and we're walking along, my youth group, we're all walking along, and all of a sudden, like, we turned a corner, and this guy sort of mixed into our group, and this guy is walking along with us, and I looked over at him, like, oh, that's the lead singer of this band that we listened to the whole way there, and the kids loved him, and they were all excited about it. They had no idea who he was, and then we turned another corner, and he turned the other way and disappeared, and one of them looked, he's like, wait a minute, <laughs> was that, and they didn't know. The events that take place as Mark presents them, they play up this idea that God himself arrived and nobody noticed. That, that it all happened and they were so preoccupied with their own business and their own agenda and their own thing that they didn't notice. As we celebrate the triumphant entry this week, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the fact that Christ is coming as the final sacrifice for the sins of mankind, as we celebrate the fact that he is the, the son of David who will be on the throne forever, he'll be king of the universe forever, that he's setting the broken world right, crushing Satan's head, doing all of this stuff, as we celebrate it this week, like, it is not a small thing, it is a huge thing. We have to hit the brakes and make sure we recognize who it is that is here, Right? what it is that we're celebrating, what it is that this is all about. Because we do stuff that's cool and fun. We do candy and eggs and all kinds of other stuff. We'll eat pancakes and sausage and all of this other thing. Like it, It's great. But all of that stuff is about Christ. The God who you seek suddenly arriving in the temple as the final sacrifice, right? My question for you is, my challenge for you is, what, what are you doing with this Christ? Is he a Sunday morning thing? Right? Like, I've got several items of clothing that I only wear on Sunday mornings and never any other time, because it's just for Sunday morning. Right? Is it a Sunday morning thing? Is it a once-a-year thing? Is it a when-I-can-fit-it-in-and-I'm-not-too-busy thing? Is it a, a part-of-our-politics thing? Is it a... What is it? Like, is he really everything? Is he really the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Savior? Or is he just more books on a shelf? Right? Oh, we have them. Actually, the cool thing about these is that they're like 50 years old and it looks like nobody's ever been through them. Isn't that crazy? The collective knowledge of the you know Western world and you never open them? What? Do we stick Christ on a shelf and break him out when we need him or when it looks good or when it's convenient? As we prepare ourselves this coming week, my encouragement, my challenge, my, my I'd shout it at you if I could get away with it. Don't, don't, don't mistake him. Don't miss him. Don't miss the cross. Don't miss the resurrection. We mourn people who die. Remember, Easter is the promise that they will rise again. We agonize over our sins. Remember, Christ died to take those away from you. That is it. The triumphal entry should be just about every day in our lives. Every day. I'm going to close this in prayer and we're going to do communion. Um, we're going to, with the bread and the, and the, the juice, we're going, to, we're going to remember what Christ did for us. And we're to do it to remember, as a reminder, as a constant nudge Christ died for our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that you would help us to help us to look to you.
heart and soul in everything that we are. Help us to remember that your son, that he arrived and we didn't know him. That he arrived to, to save us. He was the king of the universe arriving to save us and we didn't know him. In our sin when we were lost, Lord, before we knew Christ, we didn't know him. Help us to be the people who know him today. Not only know him, but carry him everywhere we go. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.